First Timothy chapter six, verses three through ten. Timothy is speaking to the congregation, and uh, of course they had to deal with the temptation of greed and wanting lots of things. And uh, that no way minimizes working. No, we need to work hard. But at the same time, to be content in what God has given us. So I'll read verses 3 through 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. And in our focus this morning, 6, 7, and 8. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which draw men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So, yeah, we'll look at verses 6, 7, and 8. Wow. Discontent. Isn't it? That's really a robber, isn't it? It's, it's a life's thief. That's what someone has called it. A life's thief. What is it rob person of? What does it steal from a person? It steals from a person happiness, Peace, satisfaction. It's always, it always wants something more, something else. It always thinks about what it doesn't have. It could be prestige, it could be power, it could be wealth. And when you get what you want, a nice home, a nice car, a nice job, then discontent hammers at the door. And says, not enough. More. I want better. It's this kind of discontent that the Apostle Paul addresses also in 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 10. And in these verses, verses 6 through 8, the Lord through the Apostle Paul encourages all believers, all believers in Jesus, that of all people, we ought to be the most content people in the world. We're called to learn to be content in a world which is filled with envy, discontent, and greediness. And by the grace of God, we know that contentment is learned. It's something that we learn in the Christian life. What does it mean to be content? It means that you're satisfied with your lot in life. right? The, the place that God has given you, the things that God has given you that you're content with that. So our hope in this sermon this morning is, first of all, that you may know God's grace, that his grace is there for you to live contentedly. It's such a peace to be content, and that peace we find in Christ. And second of all, 
that you may experience the great gain that there is in contentment. That's where the gain is found, <laughs> in contentment. So those two things this morning, we want to, that's our goal, by the grace of God, in our prayer. But look, first of all, in verse 6. The place of contentment has such a rewarding place in the Christian life. It's a great reward. It's a great gift. Look at verse 6. We read, now, godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Apostle Paul is responding to what? He's responding to greed in the church. Nothing wrong with money. Money is good. Money is a gift from God. But the love of money, when our hearts cling to that, what happens? Our fists become closed and it doesn't open up anymore. Right? Yes, that's what Paul's addressing here. Um, there's more in it. Sorry. That, that's the problem here. There were false teachers, for example, who were using godliness or they were using religion to make money. You ever hear of that? I think we come across that on television. Preachers who are there to make money. They look very godly. They're very pious on the outside. But they're that way because there's good money in it. And it's a good way to become rich. Verse 5, if you look at verse 5, the verse before, verse 6, of course, it says, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. So they use their outward piety, they use their godliness and their nice uh, outward behavior as means to get your money from your pocket. There's a special word for such people today. They're called religious hucksters. Right? What's a huckster? It's a peddler, a trafficker. Right? Material financial gain prompts them to teach and to preach. And they use the so-called miracles and to, to collect money. Now at this point, I want to just bring out something. Something really, um, uh, I, th- I think it's a sensitive matter, but I think we should bring it out. I know there's a lot of attention paid to Ankar Nerala. All I'm going to say is be very careful. Be very careful. I went to his website, the first page, Donate Now. Okay? And there's another page where it says a whole page of information, how you can access your bank account and give money to their banks. And and when you look at what they believe, no statement of faith, no statement of belief. So I would encourage you, encourage you, when you watch him, encourage you, find out what is it that he believes. What does he believe about Jesus? Do you know? Many people use the Bible, but they use the Bible in the wrong way. But what does he believe about Jesus? What does he believe about forgiveness? What does he believe about salvation? You know, that's up to you to work that out and to find out what it is that he believes. Again, be really careful. Be really careful. The Lord wants us to to discern the times. Yeah, people are in the church also to make money. You see that. And that's what Apostle Paul is addressing here. And Paul says in verse 6, verse 5, or chapter 6, verse 5, from such withdraw yourself. If it is the case, withdraw yourself from such people. Don't watch them. Stay away from them. 
withdraw yourself. Because they're not in it for your souls. They're not in it to, to teach you. They're in it for the money. Some in the church see godliness as a means of gaining a profit. But the Apostle Paul says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Now what's God's word telling us here? His word is not saying that there are two kinds of godlinesses, right? One with contentment and the other one without contentment. No, there's only one kind of godliness. And that's the one with contentment. That's the kind of godliness that's truly godly. One with contentment. And this is great gain. Apostle Paul seems to say that the teachers that he's talking about here, the false teachers, what they have is not true godliness. They're puffed up. Verses 3 and 4. Corrupt in their minds. They're not concerned with the wholesome words of our Savior. They're not there to nurse you, to lead you to Christ, to teach you in the way of Christ, to disciple you. But by their words and their example, they engender strife, they engender pride and envy and greed. That's not godliness. That's not the way of the Lord. To be godly means what? It means to be in a right relationship with the Lord through faith, through repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Simple. And when we have that, that relationship in Christ begins to show forth in our life, in a new life, in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He works that faith in our hearts by His Spirit so that we begin to, yeah, yeah, we begin to die to that old life of envy and discontent and selfishness and we begin to live a life of contentment. The Bible says, godliness with contentment is gain. By the way, a great gain. A mega gain. It's a huge gain. What is that great gain? In Christ, what do you see by faith? You see that you have so much more than what this world could ever offer you. You see by faith the riches far beyond what the world gives. And namely, what is that? A relationship with God in Christ. And the Bible speaks of an inheritance, an eternal inheritance that money can never buy. You know, that puts this world into perspective, doesn't it? It puts our work into perspective. It puts our daily life into perspective. When we have that view of reality, when we have that reality through Christ, John Calvin, he says this, we become not only heirs of the world, but we're enabled to enjoy Christ and all his riches. Yeah, the world belongs to his people, ultimately, but we more so enjoy Christ in all of this. What a rewarding place contentment has. Ah, I can relax in Christ. God has given me what I needed. I can relax in Christ. Now, of course, this gift of contentment doesn't exclude working. <laughs> no. By the way, when you work hard, that shows contentment. It's, it's really, a, re, it's really a, a, a fruit of contentment. Working hard is a fruit of contentment because you're there to serve the Lord. You belong to the Lord. You're there to serve Him. It doesn't exclude ambitions. It doesn't exclude working hard to get ahead in life. 
doesn't exclude wanting to get a promotion in the workplace. It doesn't exclude wanting to be in the competitive market. These are good things. These are things that God gives. He gives the work. He gives the opportunities for us to not be tight-fisted, but to serve God and to serve him in his kingdom. Contentment doesn't kill all desire. That's what Buddhism teaches. Buddha? Buddha said contentment. As a matter of fact, he says the idea is to get rid of all desire so they have no desire left. Well, contentment doesn't do that. Contentment doesn't kill desire. But, you know, the contentment which God gives in Christ rescues desire from envy. That's what it does. Contentment rescues it saves desire from envy, from discontent and greed. It rescues desire from serving self to serving the Lord. You know, discontentment is inward. It's self-serving. But contentment, which is a gift of the Lord, rescues us from that to serve Him. It's a rescue. It rescues desire from grasping to giving. Right? We work hard so that we don't get ultimately, but so that we can give. It rescues desire from clinging to what the world gives, what the world offers, to fixing our eyes on the inheritance that we already have in Christ. And when we fix our eyes on that, our hands become open by the grace of God. Oh, the believer has wealth untold which Christ brought, bought with his blood for people who are so undeserving. You know the song. I was looking for it in the new songbook, but it's not in there. But count your many blessings, name them one by one. There's one stanza that goes like this. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings. Money cannot buy your reward in heaven. Know your Lord on high. Isn't that true? Godliness with contentment. Oh, that's what godliness is. When there's contentment, there's great gain. Trust and pray that that contentment may continue to grow in our life together as a congregation. Some of you will have more than others of you. Some of you will have a really nice house. Some of you won't. You know, it's all from the hand of the Lord and we're called to find contentment in Him and we find that through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's a rest to pray for. The contentment that God offers in Jesus, it's a rest to pray for. It's a rest to grow in. It's a peace. It's a satisfaction to learn. Rewarding. And that's not to say Apostle Paul didn't struggle. He struggled with contentment too. If you look at Philippians chapter 4, what does he say there? I have learned. That's what he said. It's a learning. Something you learn. I've learned whatever state I am. When I had a lot, when I had nothing. I've learned whatever state I am to be content. I recall one time when we were in Mexico. There's this pastor and his wife and three children. 
busy man, working hard. And when me and my friend, when my friend and I came to his home, he had a little hut, and they moved out. They had very little, very little. They moved out of their little house, and we occupied their little one-room house. And you know what I heard him do every day? Singing. I said, that taught me a great lesson in contentment. You see a man who's content in the Lord, and he was able to sing, though he had to kill his chickens every day and find food in the forest to eat for, to provide for his family. Hard-working man. And yet, by the opposite, I've seen people with 40-room houses, almost impossible to clean, and the most miserable people in the world. provide contentment. Yes. When con- godliness with contentment is great gain. That leads us to verses 7 and 8. And that is the, real, the realistic perspective. The perspective that the Bible offers, the perspective that Christ gives, is a realistic one. Not a dreamy one. Right? We're always grasping but never getting. But it's a very realistic one. Here we see why contentment has such a rewarding place in the Christian life, given the realistic perspective of verses 7 and 8. I remember in grade, I think it was in grade 7, my teacher was teaching us perspective art. You know what perspective art is? That's when you learn to draw in light of perspective. Um... So what I did is I drew a train track, putting it into a long distance and therefore provide perspective. And what I first drew looked like this. Does this look like a train track? It looks like a ladder. There's no perspective in that. There's no connection to, to the wider. And then my teacher taught me, no, 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 this, this is perspective. That looks like a train track, doesn't it? That's a railway. Okay? Well, you know what? In Christ, he gives us perspective, such as the world can never give us, such as money can never give us. Money is good. Jobs are good. Ambitions are good. But without Christ, there's no perspective. Okay? A ladder going up goes nowhere. And likewise, the world lacks the perspective, the godly contentment that he provides in Christ. You know, without Jesus, that's all the world has, the things of this life. And it becomes very dreamy. It becomes very... uh, Yeah, there's nothing... It's not reality, right? To think that the things that we have in our hands that's going to be with us forever. The obsession of, with those things that we want to cling on to, that's the blinds one to the perspective of reality. Verse 7, look at verse 7. Paul gives a realistic perspective. What do we come into the world with? Nothing. And he says, and it is certain, he says, without a doubt, we can carry nothing out as we leave the world. In light of this, you no know, greed brings us nowhere, does it? 
it makes really it really makes no sense. You know, there's two undeniable, unchangeable truths about human possessions. You brought nothing when you came into the world, and you will carry nothing out. Nothing in, nothing out. That's a realistic perspective. Every person who has ever lived it leaves the world in the same way he came. He leaves all his possessions behind in the world when he dies. Think of Job. A God-fearing man. He was a godly man. He was the wealthiest man in the world in his day. He had possessions beyond what anyone could have or imagine. But they were all taken away. He lost his oxen, donkeys, sheep, camels, servants, children. And he even lost his own wife who said, Curse God and die. His wife did not have that realistic perspective. When this happened, what did Job do? He simply fell on the ground and worshipped God. He worshipped God. He found his contentment in the Lord. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a statement of faith, isn't it? Not like these many prosperity preachers who say, if you have enough faith, you're going to get more things. No. No. It's finding your contentment in the Lord and the situation that He has given you in, in your life. Riken, some of you might have heard of Riken. He's a commentator. He tells the story of a millionaire. And this millionaire died. And everyone wanted to know what was in his will. So they whispered to the minister, saying, How much did he leave behind? How much did he leave behind? And the minister said, he left everything behind. He could take nothing with him. There's a story, right? There's the hearse. But you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It's left behind. It's all left behind. Now this is not to bring us to despair, but this is to bring us and lead us to Christ in whom we have everything. And in, in Christ, we are able to find contentment in our work. Oh yeah, work hard. But you know what? We're able to be content in our work. Raise our families for the glory of God, but we're able to find contentment as we do that because Christ gives us that. Remember some story a long time. I think this is from Wyoming story. Husband and wife were vacationing in Florida. And while in Florida, he fell, this man, the husband, fell, fell and broke his hip. He and his wife left everything behind for the time being and flew by air ambulance to a hospital in Ontario. Soon he was feeling better, ready to go back to Florida with his wife to pick up the vacation that they had begun and also to bring back their belongings. But before he left to Florida, a vein burst near his brain and he died in the hospital two days later. He carried nothing away with him. And neither would he think that he would be going back, they would not be going back with his wife to gather their material belongings, his car, his suit, and his favorite rocking chair. But you know what, there's a difference. There was a difference in his life. Because he lived with the perspective 
that in Jesus there is contentment, there is peace, there is satisfaction. He was able to keep, by the grace of God, his eyes fixed at that point where the grave, right? Think of the grave and the horizon, the eternal inheritance of life to come meets. Yeah, you know, in this world, people, people who don't have Christ, they're prisoners in their own home. It's like they never see the light of day until Christ comes and the doors of the homes are open and there's wide open space. That's what Christ offers enables us to see the work, the possessions that we see, that we do it, see it according to, for his glory and in his service and his kingdom. The psalmist in Psalm 49 talks about those who praise a man who does very well for himself, and yet that man's glory will not follow him when he dies. He may be the richest man, but nothing goes, none of his glory will follow him. Psalm 49 says, Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased, but when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. But while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generations of his father. Ah, in Christ, of course, there's way more. There's great gain. We have sure hope, certain hope. This is because the grave is not where life ends. The grave does not end. It's not an end for believers. But it's the point where we go to be, where believers go to be with Christ forever. And that's where Psalm 49 concludes. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. He shall receive me. You know, when you have that perspective, when you have that perspective in Christ, and the inheritance that we are promised in Christ, we have every reason to be content in this life. Every reason. Having this realistic perspective ought to shape our life today too in the life that God has given us to serve Him for His honor and for His glory. So what is it we need in the meantime? Apostle Paul says in verse 8, And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Think about it. That's all we need, right? Food and clothing. Clothing, of course, can mean many things. Clothing here means shelter. It means covering. It means heat in the wintertime. Perhaps air conditioning in the summertime. A home. In addition to all this, God gives you the, the food for your table, which he supplies through your work, through your hard work. Everything else is extra. Or you could say added bonus. Apostle Paul reflects the teaching of Jesus here when Jesus says in Matthew 6.25, he says, don't worry about what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. No, your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Ah, I always think that the perfect picture of a trust, well, I mean, perfect picture of trust is what? Is a little baby. Picture a little baby for a moment. Isn't that exactly what's pictured here in verse 8? A baby is content with what? With food and warm clothes. A beautiful illustration of a childlike contentment. A childlike trust in our Heavenly Father who has given in Christ a kingdom. Who has adopted us as His children. Who has given us 
by God's grace and eternal inheritance. And always remember this. Christ paid. Christ paid what he did not owe. He paid what he did not owe to give what we do not deserve. He paid what he did not owe in order to give what we did not deserve. That's grace. Think about how much of our discontent focuses on those things that are extra. A discontent. Where does it come out of? Where does discontent come from? It comes from greed, a heart of greed, a heart of envy, a heart of selfishness. It's said that some years ago, that a typical supermarket in the United States in 1976 stocked 9,000 articles. So 9,000 articles in a supermarket today carries 30,000 articles. That's almost four times more. And the question is, how many of those things are really essential? Again, nothing wrong with these things. But the contentment which God gives in Christ can so easily be, be stolen from us by envy, discontent, and greed. And we don't experience that reward, do we? We don't experience that gain in Christ. Contentment will never come from owning things. Never. Things will never give you contentment. Do any of us believe that here? Can money make you content? Can a new house make you content? A new car? A new job? No. Those things don't bring contentment. Ultimately, no. It's shallow. Because God means for us to live in relationship with Him. That's where contentment comes. Relationship through faith in Christ and relationships with one another. That's rich. That's eternal. That's glorious. And of course, putting in a hard day's work as a way to serve one another and serve the Lord with gladness. Uh, He made us to live in a relationship with Him with one another. Things, things, by themselves are really a cheap, empty substitute. Sometimes, you know, you see parents because they feel guilty that they don't spend enough time with their children or relating with their children. They buy things. They buy toys. But it's it's, it's never a substitute for the, the richness of the relationships that we have in Christ. It's often at funerals that quickly we are brought to focus, aren't we? Showing us how realistic the perspective of verse 7 is. Nothing in, nothing out. Funerals again and again bring us into sharp focus that without life in Jesus and the hope of life to come, life is so empty. This morning we heard it again, right? A relative of the Nathaniel family, 40 years old. Here today, gone tomorrow. It happens. And God wants us to live out of the richness of his grace in Christ who shed his blood for us. Yes. Paul shows the necessity of depending on Christ and living by faith out of him. Paul says, you know, when he learned contentment, how could he learn contentment? 
And then he says a little bit later in Philippians 4, verse 11, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how contentment comes. It comes through Christ who gives us the strength to do that, to live that. By learning contentment, we experience this rewarding place and the things of our thrilling eternity in Christ. These things begin to shape our view of the temporary things of the dying present. It's just that, temporary. Just temporary. Someone's put it this way, possessions are the traveling luggage of time. They're not the stuff of eternity. Yeah, so don't, don't cling on to things so hard. Right? Work hard. You don't have to, we, don't have to, we can be frugal with ourselves, but for God and for His kingdom, open your fingers. Open your hands. Because that's really reflects a heart of contentment, a heart of joy, a heart of satisfaction. Open your hands. God has opened his hands towards you. He showed on the cross when he stretched out his hands for you on the cross. Yes, we return our thanksgiving to him for what he has done for us. Praise God that in Christ he frees us from that kind of slavery. Discontentment is a horrible slavery. We hate slavery. We hate to be slaves. But it's a horrible slavery to be in, this contentment. Christ frees us from that through faith in him. And you know what? It's so important that we teach our children at a very young age that we have to, we pray that they, we root out, that, that, root, that this contentment may be rooted out from their hearts. They have to start at a very young age. Right? We pray for God's grace in that. In closing, always remember the words of Hebrews 13 verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is the promise that you have in Christ. Not to worry. Not to grasp. Be content in him. Amen.